Man, it feels like a little bit of a reunion. We've got students that have come back from school being away. It's, it's great to be together. Last week, I was in Toronto. Uh, our denomination has an assembly every two years, and this year it was in Toronto, and I was there representing Hillside, getting a chance to be with our larger tribe as we think about what it's, what, what it's like to follow Jesus together. Uh, you might see, actually, they, they actually gave me a medal, if you can imagine. I, didn't, I wasn't going expecting this. This is kind of a new thing in our denom. But in the middle there, two guys that look like me, one is me. And uh, the guy beside me, the guy, there's a guy beside me as well. I, it was, it, it was, uh, I was called up for this 21-year service medal. So I've been pastoring for 21 years. I've been pastoring all of those 21 years here at Hillside. It was not encouraging to me. One, one young kid came up to me and says, only 21 years? <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> How long have you been serving? Three years? You still in diapers, boy? I mean, <laughs> don't get me started. Um, actually, 21 years doesn't seem like a long time compared at the very far end is a lovely couple named Wayne and Dale Dom who I know from, from Sarnia, Brights Grove, Ontario. I met them when I was about 19 years old, and they're like the nicest pastors I've ever met, and they've just completed 49 years of pastoral service. That's a long time. I'm telling you, I'm quitting at 65, just so you know. I'm like, you know, none of this, you know, I don't know. But um, it was cool, cool to be able to talk to our, our, some of our denominational leaders. Uh, Kervin Ragast is our president, and he's coming to Hillside for our Encounter God weekend on June 7th and 8th. He's coming along with a team of, I think, nine, and uh, I'm getting excited because I just sense that this is going to be one of those weekends that changes the lives and trajectories of some of our people. I really believe that. I, I, I think the kind of content that we're going to be walking through over that Friday, late Friday, uh, all the way through till Saturday night. Sunday morning, we'll have a talk for the, for the whole congregation, but Friday night and all day Saturday, we're going to journey together, and I think God's going to identify some places in our lives where we're, we're stuck and, and where we actually need kind of to be unstuck, and we need somebody to, to, to bring some revelation to that, to actually uh, help us get deliverance and prayer over those things, and so I think it's going to be really great. It's, it's an investment. It's an intensive weekend. It's uh, you know, all Friday evening and uh, all day, sat, long day on Saturday, it costs $59, which Hillside's already subsidizing. Um, and, but I think uh, if, if this is maybe one of those pieces that could unlock you into a, uh, a deeper journey with God and more of who you are meant to be, more free, then I'd encourage you to consider coming. I think it's going to be really rich. These guys have been uh, putting this on at Center Street Church for many, many years. Center Street is our kind of a, one of our largest congregations. In fact, I think it's the largest congregation in Canada, but it's a sister church of ours in Calgary. And they just have testimony after testimony of people experiencing uh, God's grace meeting them over this weekend. So we're coming to kind of a tried experience. So I want to encourage you to consider signing up for that. Sound good? Yeah? Go on to our website. You can do it right there. And uh, you can even pay online or uh, pay at our office. Uh, we're starting a new series today on the Old Testament book of Jonah. Um, some of you know this story really well. Maybe you haven't read any other minor prophet. Maybe you didn't even know there were minor prophets, but uh, you maybe have heard of at least this story, or you've maybe read this one. 
I loved learning about the Jonah story as a kid because it was Jonah and the what? The whale, right? Which every good Bible teacher tells you it was really just a great big fish. Um, but I, I loved the, the flannel. This, this was really great. For those of you who have been in that church for as long as I have, they used to have this felts and flannel graph, and Jonah made for a great flannel graph story. It's a remarkable story of, of a prophet of God getting swallowed by a great fish. The book of Jonah is kind of unique among the prophets in the, in the Bible in a sense that they're typically collections of God's words spoken through the prophet. But Jonah's prophetic message in, in the book is just five Hebrew words long, like one sentence. That's all that we have of his message. So this book doesn't focus on the words of the prophet at all. It's a story about the prophet Jonah, a prophet who we find out is pretty angry and upset with God. Quick recap of the book for those of you who haven't read it before. Jonah hears a word from God that he is to go to Nineveh, this city, to give them a warning from God to change their ways. Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, he actually goes on a sea journey in the opposite direction to Tarshish. A storm interrupts his, his plans, and Jonah's thrown overboard into the sea. Miraculously, he's swallowed by a great fish. Jonah, again, miraculously survives. He has a little one-on-one -on -one time with God in the fish, as I think any one of us would be doing in that moment, where he prays, he survives, he repents, and he agrees to go to Nineveh on this mission that he's being sent on. He gets there, he preaches his five-word message, and miraculously, the Ninevites repent en masse. They turn from their wickedness. And then you've got this crazy disappointment of Jonah being really upset with God's mercy. Why study Jonah? Well, for one reason, there are some important themes in Jonah that are incredibly relevant to our day. Themes like how overly strong nationalistic or, or patriotic devotion can conflict with our, our faith in God, with our uh, experience of God's will in our world, or the themes of, of racism or contempt for other cultures or, or peoples. Uh, Jonah grapples, I, I think this book grapples with how we're to be on mission in a world that is often hostile to the Christian faith. I mean, we, we see that a lot. If you've been following any kind of news feeds this week, uh, the, 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 the persecution of Christians around the world has been horrific lately. Um, it also addresses one of the bigger questions we can ask of God. How can God be both merciful and just? How can he be both those things at the same time? But I'd say the genius of the book of Jonah is that it, it's simply a stunning portrayal of the relentless grace of God, a grace that we can never really plumb the depths of, the kind of grace that meets every single person right where you are, no matter where you're at. A another reason to st study Jonah is simply the power of story. Um, who doesn't like a good story? I loved telling bedtime stories to my kids growing up. In fact, we just made stuff up. We told stories about some dog. We had a dog, didn't we? You don't even remember, do you? The good stories were wasted on you, son. Wasted. <laughs> Terrible. It, it, it's interesting to me that the Bible is not primarily a collection of teachings or propositions or proverbs per se. 
It's far more, the, the, the Bible is far more a story. And Jesus, how did he teach? He was telling parables. He was telling stories. He's saying things like the kingdom of God is like, and then he'd tell this little story to help us understand that. Stanley Auerwitz, the, the theologian, argues quite convincingly that if, he says, if we want to change our lives, having the right image is far more important than diligently exercising willpower. And, and, the, and the book of, of Jonah is such an image. It's a, it's a story, a kind of parable that gets behind our defenses that we have up with God. It gets behind them and it, and it works on our imaginations. And as we ponder the story of this rebellious prophet, we surprisingly finding, find his story intersecting with our story. We find God speaking to us and confronting our own lives in a quiet and kind of subversive, subversive way, not, not sort of head on and direct. It calls us to change. So why don't we pray that this morning? Why don't we just pause again and pray that God would do that this morning and through this series, that God would change our hearts and get behind our defenses. God, we pray that you would open us up to your life today. We thank you that you come as such a gentle teacher. You know, you know that we can be hard to teach. <laughs> and so, Lord, use the, we'd, we'd pray today you'd use the Jonah story to help us know what life's about and help us know what, what a journey with you looks like. Lead us, we pray. Speak to us and open our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the book of Jonah begins with these words. The, this is verse one of, of chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Our story begins with uh, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah hears from God. He's, he's a prophet. That's what prophets do. They, they listen to God and then they become messengers for God. And God says to, to Jonah, go to Nineveh. <clears throat> and, and when you hear from God, and sometimes you will, sometimes it'll be just three words, and they'll change your life. That, go to Nineveh. Actually, God probably won't say that to you. Nineveh no longer exists, but he'll say something. Now, these words to Jonah would have been shocking uh, on a number of levels. Tim, Tim Keller talks about this in his excellent book, The Prodigal Prophet, Jonah, The Prodigal Prophet. This book really inspired this series. But it would have been shocking for, for Jonah to, to have this word from God because it, God here was calling a Hebrew prophet to go and speak to a Gentile city. Up until then, uh, prophets had only been sent to God's people. Uh, other prophets like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Amos had had words from God for other nations or people groups. None of them actually were sent to those nations. Jonah's mission was simply unprecedented. Go to Nineveh. What was maybe even more shocking was that God would want to warn Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was the capital city of, of Assyria in the 7th and 8th centuries BC. Assyria was the greatest world power. It chewed up and, and spit out countries left, right, and center. It, it would put the peoples that it defeated on these long death marches, the kind we've heard of in, in modern day. Genocide was, was like their national policy. 
When, when Israel was, was split into two sections, some of you, you know about this, there was the, the northern kingdom, which was the ten tribes of Israel. It was actually called Israel. And then there was the two tribes that were the southern kingdom, that was Judah. That when, when these ten uh, northern tribes, uh, this kingdom was captured and essentially obliterated and vaporized by Assyria. Assyria was hated so much that there was a prophet named Nahum who, who said this about Nineveh. He said, woe to Nineveh. This is, this is in the Old Testament in Nahum, the book of Nahum. Woe to Nineveh. Woe to the city. <coughs> Excuse me. Woe to the city of blood. That is what, that's what it was called. That was its title. Full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, piles of dead. Think about this. Bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. Your injury is fatal. Nahum here is predicting the fall of Nineveh. He says, he says your injury is fatal. Every, he goes on to say, everyone who hears the news about you claps their hands at your fall, for who has not felt your endless cruelty? Nineveh is so hated, not just cruelty, endless cruelty. When it's destroyed, Nahum says, people are going to stand up and they're going to applaud. They're going to clap their hands. If, if you wonder, wanted to understand how an Israelite felt about Nineveh, this is not just any other city. Think of Al-Qaeda. Think of, of ISIS. Think of, of Nazi Germany. Think of a, a power that, that killed killed your children or enslaved your brother or, or brutalized your sister. Think of, of, of a modern terror state. And yet, yet it's this nation that God wants to warn of, of this impending doom. It's, it's this nation that was the object of God's missionary outreach. And Jonah is called to go and preach to that city. Actually, it says that he's to go to that city and preach against that city. Can you imagine what that would be like? Um, yeah, that sounds like fun. It, it, it's like maybe a, like a Jewish rabbi uh, going and doing street evangelism in Berlin in 1942. How would that go over, right? There'd be, there'd be good reason not to go. There'd be good reason to be afraid. Here's the thing, and, and you get a sense from the test, the text, though, and it gets really clear in chapters 3 and 4. Fear doesn't seem to have been the issue for Jonah. In fact, I think that was kind of a, a prophet's call. They were kind of fearless and bold proclaimers of, of God's hard word sometimes. And so, Jonah, you don't sense that he's afraid. It was actually deeper than that. Jonah knew there'd be no reason for God to send a warning to Nineveh about God's displeasure at their wickedness unless there was a, a chance of God's judgment being turned aside. And that raised the question, how could a good God give a nation like that even the smallest chance to experience mercy. Why would God be helping the enemies of his people? Another surprising thing is, is just actually who God decided to send. We're told Jonah, son of Amittai. No other background information was given, which probably means no other introduction was needed. Second Kings 14.25 tells us that Jonah was a prophet during the reign of Israel's king Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was a, a bad guy. He was a very bad king, very militaristic, wanting to, to take other nations around by, by force. And, and, and while other prophets like Amos and, and Hosea criticized the king for his unfaithfulness to God and his injustice, 
Uh, Jonah's there kind of cheering on this king with his militaristic plans, his violent plans. And so the original readers of this book would have remembered Jonah, would have remembered him as being intensely patriotic, uh, uh, a nationalist. And they would have been just as shocked as Jonah was that God would send a man like Jonah to preach to the Ninevites, a people he most hated and feared. It's a remarkable setup to this whole story. So God says, go. And actually, Jonah does go. He just doesn't go to Nineveh. <laughs> In fact, you look at the map, uh, he, he goes about as far. Nineveh was actually geographically really close. Uh, it was about as far in the opposite direction as you could possibly go. It, it placed Spain or Gibraltar, somewhere in that neck of the woods is where Tarshish was. He goes. It's kind of ironic, actually, that Jonah uses the command of the Lord to actually flee from the presence of the Lord. Listen to this. It's interesting to read in verse 3 as to what Jonah was really doing. Verse 3 begins with, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And at the end of the verse 3, we've got this repetition of that phrase, Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, now all of us run from God sometimes. I think we're all kind of stuck by that condition. I'm always struck by that beautiful line in that beautiful hymn, um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It, Prone to Leave the One I Love. I don't know about you, but that arrests me every time I sing that song. It describes my life. And I think any honest follower of God knows that reality is that we're kind of prone to run. But it's kind of crazy, actually, to think about it, that how we can actually run from God. See, see one of the things uh, about disobedience, one of the things about rebellion from God and, and about sin is it kind of requires this illusion for us that we won't get caught. It's like the story about a football player who uh, was struggling in his classwork, and he's sitting across from the smartest kid in his class. And the professor says he must have cheated on this, his test sitting across from this real smart kid. The professor says to them, you both got the exact same score on the test. You just got one question wrong. And the football player says, well, well that could have been a coincidence. And, and, and the professor says, yeah, but you both got the same question wrong. And the football player says, well, uh, you know, that could have been a coincidence too. The professor says, but the best student's paper said, I don't know the answer to this question. And your paper said, I don't know the answer either. <laughs> I don't know if that actually happened or not, but if it didn't, it should have, I think. Don't you think? <laughs> Here's the thing about running from God. See, if I want to disobey the Lord, the first thing I've got to do is make sure that my mind doesn't think about him being right there. I, I have to find a way mentally, and, and I think we all actually do this, we, we can do it without even thinking about it, a way not to think about, to eliminate the awareness of God's presence and God's character and God's will and God's holiness. I have to keep my mind thinking on other stuff so that I don't think about that stuff. If I want to do something wrong, it always involves us running away from God. We all do this. People do it all the time. It, it, it happens to everybody in this room. It, it, it may happen like this. 
You know, I, I know God is calling me to go to Nineveh. I know God wants me to confront this person, to have a conversation about tr- the truth, but that would be hard, that would be unpleasant, and I don't want to face that pain, and so instead I'm going to go off to Tarshish. Or, or maybe I, I know that God is calling me to serve in, in, in some area, but I don't want to. It might be humbling, it, it might be difficult, it might be scary, and I, I don't want to do that, and so I'll, I'll run away to Tarshish. Or I know that God is calling me to let go of, of that grip that money has on my life, and I know that it does. And, and I know God, God says, trust me enough to be generous. And I know God says, test me with your tithe. Test me on this and see if I'm not faithful. See if I won't care for you better than you could care for yourself. I know that, but I don't want to. I'm afraid. So I'm going to, going to run to Tarshish. Maybe it looks like this. I know God wants me to confess that, 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 that sin, this sin. I know God wants me to acknowledge this habit. I, I know God wants me to let go of this sexual relationship or this sexual habit. Or, or I know God wants me to, to release me from this judgmental attitude in my spirit. Or I know God wants me to forgive and, and not be bitter. I know, but I don't want to. I'm looking for a ship to Tarshish. That's what, that's what Jonah does. He, he does what, what I think every one of us sometimes thinks. I can run from God. Nobody will ever know. And I wonder if some of you aren't there right now. And, and we'll cycle back to this theme a bit, but this is something that we learn from Jonah. You, you can't escape God's presence. I, I, you can't escape God. Wherever you go... <laughs> The saying used to be, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there he is. He's always there. I, I've actually found that, that even in the midst of, of, of terrible sin, of, of a, a terrible rebellion in my own life, and I found that even in that moment, just a hint of a look upwards, and I find he's right there. He was there all the time. He never abandons us in those moments. The psalmist in Psalm 139 learned this, right? He, he said, you know, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I run from your presence? If I go to the, the depths, you're there. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the ends of the earth, you're there. The darkness can't even hide me. Jonah discovers even on the sea, God is there. And even in our experience of flight from God, in our rebellion or willful disobedience, God will never let us go. His grace is relentless pursuing us even when we are doing the exact opposite of what he wants us to do. Now, it's actually helpful to, to understand or, or get at why Jonah was actually disobedient. As we said already, that, that Jonah did not want to be the bringer of any potential good news to this hated enemy, right? But it actually goes deeper than that. I, I like how Timothy Keller explains this. He says, Jonah had a a problem with the job he was given, but he had a bigger problem with the one who gave it to him. You see, Jonah concluded that because he couldn't see any good reason for God's instructions, that there couldn't be any good reason. Keller says this, he says, Jonah doubted the goodness, wisdom, and justice of God. I'd I'd say we've, we've actually all been there. 
you know, on a day where you received a, a layoff notice from your work, or, or you're in a, what seems like a great romantic relationship and suddenly it crashes and burns, or you're in the doctor's office and you get a, a not wanted biopsy report. And, and you can be asking the question, does God, in those moments, does God actually know what he's doing? Is God actually good? And, and then if we actually turn to the teachings of Scripture, you know, the, the words from, from Jesus, and as we study them, and we, they often conflict with the values of our culture. There's this clash, and we can be asking the question, is that actually truth we can trust? Is, is it actually truth that we ought to live and, and, and rely on? And, and when this happens, we have to decide who, what, what's, who, who knows best. Do we... Or does God? And kind of our default position seems to be we make those decisions. We usually go with we. It's this, this fundamental doubt that gets introduced in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. This, this question that was whispered by the serpent to this couple. Is God good? Does God have your best in mind? Does God intend for your happiness and when we're in, in circumstances where we can't see any good reason for, for something that God does or something that God says, we assume that there just aren't any. This week, uh, God gave me a verse. It was a week that I needed a verse, and he gave me a verse. And it's one that I don't preach on, maybe hardly ever, because it's so well-worn, it's so well-memorized, everyone knows it so much that actually we've almost become inoculated to probably the words. But again, it came hitting me today like a laser to my soul. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In, in all your ways, submit to him, acknowledge him, and he'll make your paths straight. <laughs> so profound. It, it's a verse that asks us, will we trust him? Even when he asks us to do something that doesn't make sense, like, you know, quitting your job without the next job, right? Will we decide in, in that moment to, to lean not on our own understanding, to, to lean not on, on our figuring it out, our, our, our logic? Will we trust him even when it's a hard path that he seems to be leading us on? I, I sent this, sense this week that this, this again, well-worn verse invites the deepest questions of us from God, as in, beloved one, will you trust me? Will you trust in my goodness? Will you, will you trust that I know best? Will, will you trust that I know the big picture? I, I, I was thinking about this this week, and, and Angel shared with me a story. Uh, three years ago, um, I had a heart incident. It was arrhythmia but it freaked out the doctors and it kind of freaked out me. And Angel was in Africa on a mission trip at the time. And so I went to the hospital at the instruction of my doctor, thank you very much, and they didn't let me go. They said, we're gonna keep you in for observation and we maybe wanna do some tests. And the long story is everything worked out fine. But in the meantime, Angel didn't know about this and we were debating. In fact, we, I talked to the elders and said, should I call her, she's in Africa, I don't wanna concern her. And, and this is after what I thought was going to be a day in the hospital. It ended up being five days in the hospital. 
uh, which was like a little mini sabbatical, by the way, just time apart from the church. It was fantastic. <laughs> Loved it. I was the healthiest guy on the heart ward, just having a great time. Actually, food, if they could improve the food, it would be like, you know, perfect. Um, but I got a hold of Angel, and, and during that time, she, she was so upset. She felt so bad about not being there with me through that, afraid of all kinds of levels. And somebody shared with her just this whole image that stuck with her. Uh, she, she, a friend that was on that mission trip with her, Lori, uh, shared how they have a, a boat, and uh, the most important piece of equipment on the boat, uh, in their minds, was the, the depth finder, this, this computer device that reads currents and, and shows what we can't see. See, when you're, you're sailing in a boat, you, you, it's often you, you think you see what, what you see is what you get, but we don't understand that underneath the, the, the waves, there can be rocks, and there can be shoals, and there can be currents that, can, can, that are dangerous to be sailing in, and, and uh, so you gotta trust this device that it knows, and, and it gives you these warnings. And, and, I, and I think that for, for us folks is, is, a, is God, do we trust that he can see the bigger picture, that he actually knows what's best, what's, he knows what's going on, and we don't know, we don't see, we can't see. Only God has that kind of view. And he invites us to trust in him. And if we submit our ways to him, he'll, he'll make our path straight. Well, we know what Jonah does. He runs. In that moment, he decides not to trust. But I want you to notice this. There are, there are two big plot movements in the Jonah story. The first is where he's clearly disobedient from God, going the wrong way. And, and, and God tells him to, to, to go, and he says no. The second big movement of the Jonah story is, we find it in chapter two, Jonah finally agrees to go where God says to go. Jonah is now obedient, he goes, but here's the thing, both times he fails. We never get to see a successful Jonah. He never gets it. By the way, Jonah's not exactly a, an example to live up to, just because he's in the Bible. He's more of a comfort to us, and I think he's more training in humility because we probably resemble Jonah more than we care to admit. Uh, it's funny, I recently read about an exasperated mom who sent her disobedient little boy to his room, and, and when his time was up, he came out far more confident than he'd, he'd come in. He'd gone out, I should say. He said, I've been thinking about what I did, and I said a prayer. That's fine, his mother said. If, if you ask to God to make you good, he will help you. He says, oh, I didn't ask God to make me good, replied the boy. I asked him to help you put up with me. <laughs> I, I see more timeouts in that boy's future, don't you? I mean, seriously. <laughs> jo Jonah reminds us that there are actually two ways of running from God. There's, there's outright disobedience, you, you know, doing our own thing, <laughs> living as if God doesn't exist. That's like heading off to Tarshish. But there's another kind of running from God, as, as we'll discover as we read on in the, the Jonah story. Jonah, obedient, turns out to be just as much in violation of the word of God as Jonah, disobedient. Jonah, in his obedience, becomes angry and, and vindictive. As, as one pastor put it, Jonah obeys to the letter of the command, but Jonah betrays the spirit of God with his anger. In other words, we can, we can avoid God by outright rebelling in sin, but it's also possible to avoid God by, 
by rebelling or, or becoming very religious and moral and upright. The classic example in the Gospels of this is, is the teaching, the, the parable Jesus gave in, in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the two sons. The younger brother, he tried to escape his father's control by taking his father's inheritance, running from home, rejecting his father's value, and doing whatever he wished. The, other, the older brother, he stayed home and he obeyed diligently, completely, but when his father behaved mercifully to the younger son, the older, older son exploded in anger at his father. And in that parable, it becomes clear that the, the elder brother was not obeying the father out of love. The elder brother obeyed as a, a way of, of putting his, his father in debt to him, you know, so that he... It was kind of a way of gaining control over him so that he had to do as the son asked. Neither son were about the father's love. Neither son were about trusting the father's love. Both were trying to escape his control. One did it through obedience. One did it through disobedience. Timothy Keller talks about this a lot. Uh, if you read his book, Prodigal God, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll dive into this a little bit more. But, but he refers to author Flannery O'Connor who refers to one of her fictitious characters, or describes one of her fictional characters, Hazel Motes, as knowing that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. You're like, what? But the idea here is that we can somehow be religiously observant or virtuous or good, and then it's kind of like we've paid our dues to God, and he can't bother us anymore. Like, leave us alone. Don't hurt us. Don't punish us. Uh, it, it's all about kind of control, right? God, God now can't you know, ask anything of us. In fact, God now owes us. He's obligated to answer our prayers. He's obligated to bless us. Keller wisely concludes, he says, this is not moving toward God in grateful joy, glad surrender, and love, but is instead a way of controlling God and as a result, keeping him at arm's length. Both of these, these, these two ways of, of running from God can, can be about believing in the lie that we, we don't trust that God is trustworthy, that, that God is actually really good. Really, both ways of running are about avoiding this loving and trusting relationship with a heavenly Father that, that wants a relationship with us more than anything. And so it means sometimes that you and I are going to have to repent from our badness you know, those, those things that are getting in the way of our relationship with God, the way we're, we're rebelling or sinning, our, that kind of brokenness. But, but guys, sometimes we're going to need to repent of our goodness. That, that somehow we can, can do the righteous life without the righteous one. And of course, it's a heart deal, but, but sometimes in our avoidance of sin, we're, we're actually avoiding Jesus. Can you imagine? And the, the kind of grace and the kind of life and the kind of joy that, that he wants to bring into our lives as we humbly enter into this relationship with him. Do you know what I love, though, about the Jonah story? Jonah's a crazy good runner. He runs and runs and runs. But, but God is always a step ahead. I mean, God never lets him run away. Intersect, he's consistently intersecting his life with his, as I said, relentless grace. And you know what, folks? God will do that with you. 
He does that with each one of us. He's always forever extending his mercy to us in, in new ways, even though we don't deserve it, even though we don't understand it. And I got to tell you, folks, Jesus is all over this Jonah story. I guess the, the question that we kind of come to this morning is, is there maybe a way in which you've been running from God right now? Maybe you've been doing it in real obvious ways. People around you who know you uh, and love you, they can see it. It's kind of obvious, right? Maybe you've been running in, in, in secret or, or hidden ways. Maybe you, you were hardly even aware of it until kind of this morning that the, the Spirit of God put his finger on, on something, some specific area of your life. And, and it could be some specific act of disobedience. God's been speaking to you and you've been kind of saying no, like in your behavior or in your relationships, or in your habits, in your time, in your, in your money, or in your attitudes. Or maybe you've been, you know, basically obedient on the outside, but you've been disobedient on the inside. You know the difference, right? Your way of, way of running has been about getting it right, about living the letter of the law, but in the midst of doing all that, you've somehow you're somehow able to keep God distant from you. You're somehow not understanding his lavish and relentless love and mercy and grace. Jonah found running doesn't work. <laughs> and it really doesn't because wherever you go, our God is there. And, and I hear Jesus making the same invitation that he makes to us over and over again. Just come running to me. You can trust me. You can trust me. And so this morning, I want to give you just a few, few moments, a couple minutes to, to, to pray and reflect and ask, where am I running right now? So if you're comfortable doing this, would you bow your heads? And I just want you to ask that question to God. He's here right now. This is the God who loves you. It's safe to have this conversation with him. In what ways am I maybe running from God right now? And listen to what he, he says. Now, God may have put his finger on something right now, and you can recognize that you're running, but you're not necessarily ready to turn and uh, run to Jesus. And uh, I wonder this morning uh, whether you could start a conversation with Jesus. It's going to have to go beyond this time right now. You know, what is it about running that's so attractive to me? What is it I'm actually running from? Allow him to kind of get to the root of this. Um, 
It could, could have a lot to do with, with how you view God, what kind of God you think he is. Heavenly Father, you, uh, you know the truth about us. You know that we're kind of born runners. <laughs> and that we all have a lot of Jonah in us. Lord, we get scared and, and we, uh, we want what we want. And uh, sometimes we actually shut out the awareness of you out of our thoughts. God, sometimes we resemble the younger brother you know, fleeing in our sin, going to what we think is, is real life and uh, with disregard for your commands or your ways, disregard for the consequences. Sometimes, Lord, we resemble the elder brother, you know, running from you by being good. Um, we flee from your presence. We uh, pursue our own righteousness And yet always, God, the, the good news is that you're, you're at work in our lives in ways that we could never, ever fathom or imagine, God. You never let us go. We, we can never run far enough that we're out of your sight. We pray right now, Lord, Heavenly Father, I pray, especially for those in this room who are spiritually struggling right now, there's just it's going on in their hearts. For those who, who know in some area of their life, some relationship, some behavior, uh, some secret where they've been running the other way, maybe for a long time, and you come right now and you say to them, repent. Turn back. Come to me. Just run to me. Come on home. I'm always here to receive you. Heavenly Father, would you help us learn the reasons why we run? Would you uncover those? Help us to know and learn what a good and loving God you are, a God we can trust. We ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Sonnet, 
sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. to thy love has blessed me, Thou hast brought me to this place, and I know thy hand will bring me safely home by thy good grace. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious blood oh to grace how great a debtor daily i'm constrained to be let thy goodness as a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Uh, for some of you this morning, that's, that's a prayer that's especially poignant for you. Here's my heart, Lord. Uh, I wonder if maybe there's those who, who, who you've been running your whole life. Uh, you, you, you've heard the good news, you've heard about Jesus and what he offers, and and yet you've been running away, wanting to do it your own way. And, and Jesus this morning is saying, oh man, come home. I'll, I'll show you what life is about. I'll show you how to really live. And uh, you can, if you feel like you haven't started a relationship with Jesus, you can do that today. Say, Lord, here's, it, it's kind of the prayer you pray. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Give you my heart. Forgive me for my, my running away. Forgive me for my disobedience, for the way I've broken your law, broken your heart, God. Forgive me for the ways I've tried to be good by myself. But I offer you my life. I ask you to come and, 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 and lead me into that new way with you, a life with you, where you become my leader and my forgiver and my friend. You can do that right now. I encourage you to do so. But for all of us, let me give you this, this benediction.
May God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit bind your wandering hearts to him out of his goodness and his love. Amen.